listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 18 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart and I'm here with Jill Lyde and Neil Glover. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello. I've already called, hello, I've already called Jill the wrong name. I've called her Jen this morning, but... um, Hopefully I'll manage to remember your names properly as we um, go into the recording. Now, before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to tell listeners about something that SBS has been working on for the last few months. I mentioned Stories of Light and Life in a previous episode, and that's a series of short films with testimonies from people across Scotland and the words of John's Gospel. Now, they're available to share and download. You can find them at www.scottish.bible forward slash light and life forward slash stories. So that's scottish.bible forward slash light and life forward slash stories. Now, by the time this podcast episode goes out, they will be live on that website. And uh, But you may already have seen the, the preview film because it's been doing the rounds on social media. If you don't already do so, then if you find SBS on your preferred social media channel, you can watch that. There will also be a podcast series to accompany that. Uh, and more details about that will follow in the weeks to come. So lots to look forward to, all connected into Light and Life and John's Gospel. However, back to today, I have a little apology before we start to make. It's to loyal listeners who were listening very carefully and wondered what happened when there was a big lull and then a glut of episodes arriving in their uh, app um, platforms. Full disclosure, I forgot to upload an episode. So I went in to upload the previous but one episode and realised I'd forgotten to do the one before To your horror. I know, to my horror. I did, I had that slight sinking feeling. Um, it was all slightly complicated as well by the death of the Queen because I was putting a little extra bit of audio on here. Anyway, very complicated. Full apologies to anybody who suddenly thought, oh my goodness, there's a glut coming. Um, I have already had one email from one listener about that. They wondered what had happened. So sorry about that, but I hope you've enjoyed this two for one. And from now on, we guarantee, she says confidently, that uh, this will be landing every fortnight as usual. Now, Jill is joining us again today. Thanks. I'm glad you came back because there was always a risk. Well, I know, um, but I confidently have come back today because I had such a great time last time. So I appreciate very much joining you again today. In our booth, in our nook. It's right. Yes, in our little corner. Uh, Glad we didn't put you off. Uh, And we are looking forward again to what you had to say. Now, today we're on John chapter 17. That's on page 50. I was going to say 56, I don't know why, it's on page 50 of Light and Life, and it's a chapter where the glory of fatherly intimacy and eternal transcendence, the past, the future, the here and now, and the eternity that contains it all come into focus. Oh, right. oh. Yeah. I'm looking Going for a response every time I do it now. <laughs> oh, no, do you feel the pressure? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Difficult second album. Oh, it really is. You're past that now. Seventeenth, seventeenth yeah. album, Neil. Yeah, indeed. Did, you, that, did you did you do it, it right from the start? I I, I have a feeling it crept in about three or four. It maybe know. did. You might be right. I might have to go back and listen to figure out. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So anyway, though, before that, Neil, we've not heard anything from you, and we're already three and a half minutes in. <laughs> I think it's. <laughs> I think it's time for Glover's off. Glover's Off is about bridges and it's inspired by Jill's dad who I knew many years ago, Brian Swan, an engineer who has given his life to bridges. Uh, uh, Jill's sticking her hands in the air just at the moment in, in a kind of salute to her dad. 
Um, and I think Brian, he had worked for many, many years on the Kingston Bridge in, in Glasgow, didn't he? He, uh, the joke uh, that we have is that he single-handedly moved it and kept it going. But I'd never been aware just to keep a bridge strong. You've got to spend, it's a lifetime's work, isn't it? Right. He, did, he did move it though. Am I, did he am move I right? it, Jill? Yeah, he was in charge of the the operation of moving it, like by centimeters, wasn't it? But like I remember him, um, like being away from home overnight because they had to do all the work during the night. So he'd leave just after tea, and then he'd come back in at like six in the morning, and we were like, oh, he's been out again doing stuff <laughs> for the bridge. It was very exciting. We did have you, a how much did you move it last night, Dad? A millimeter. Exactly. Exactly. No, it was really good. And not to, sorry, just dive in on your glovers off. When they did actually do the moving, um, the police had to be there when they dug the foundations out in case there were any uh, buried bodies because uh, the, the gangs tended to um, bury people in cement um, when bridges were being built or when roads were being built. And so the police had to be there to make sure. Uh, they never found anything, but it was always very exciting to hear that, yeah. Wow. He loves these bridges. He had a big photograph of the Kingston Bridge, but is there not some photograph that he has next to his bedside table or something along with your yeah, mum? Yeah, he's got along with mum. Um, and his line is, it's the two things he loves most in the world, Anne and Bridges. And my sister and I obviously take that very badly because I feel we could have maybe just come above a bridge, but, you know, we just accept it. So yeah, it's, he does it's mum, Anne, Bridge, you and your sister. That's yeah. it, yeah. We take third and fourth. That's not too bad, is it? As no. long as I'm third, she's fourth, that's okay. <laughs> so I was thinking of Bridges yesterday because I was driving to Edinburgh and I just love the fourth bridges. They are they are stunning. And I, you're kind of tempted to say which one's your favourite one, which I think is actually a ludicrous question because they're all beautiful in their own way. The, the original fourth bridge, which is not called the fourth rail bridge officially, the fourth bridge, which is the real one, was built in 1879. And it's cantilever bridge. It was the largest cantilever bridge in the world when it was built. And I think... Also at that time, oh, it might, somebody says it was the largest bridge as well in terms of span at one point. It was definitely the longest cantilever. But one of the most moving things for me is there's a memorial in North Queensferry to all the people who died building that bridge. And there are dozens and dozens of them. Um, but, and it tells you how they died. Very often it was hit by a rivet or something like that um, or fell in. But very, very moving. But it speaks to the effort that went into those bridges. And then the fourth road bridge, which was beautiful, was opened in 1964 and was at that time the fourth largest suspension bridge outside of America. So I think America had loads of suspension bridges outside of America. It was. And Incidentally, my uh -huh. mum was teaching in Queensferry Primary School when the road bridge was built. Oh, right. And she had a number of people in her class who'd had to, uh, you know, with uh, uh, compulsory purchase, had to move oh, out right. because oh. their houses oh, were not. Wow. So that's a span of a thousand meters, and then the Queensferry Crossing, which I think is beautiful. I don't know. Do you do that thing where you look at all the cables and all the patterns that they? Oh, have? it's beautiful. Isn't I want it? to ping them. I, I feel that it would be like yeah. a heart. Yeah, play it. Yes, yes. like a heart. Mm -hmm. um, it was opened in 2017, and 650 meters is the longest span there. But that's because it's got extra bits. It's got a big bit in the middle. And I just love these bridges. There are no bridges actually in the Bible. I, I had a quick check. There are fords but there are no bridges. 
Um, and I was trying to think what verse would connect. I thought maybe Psalm 118, the stone that the builders have rejected, has become the keystone. But it's not the keystone of a bridge. I think it's the keystone of a building, the cornerstone. So I've gone for 2 Corinthians 5.19, which is God was, in the, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And bridges and that verse speak of the energy and the work and the determination that goes into connecting with people because it really, really matters that people are connected. And I think that also leads us very much into John 17 today, which is about a number of very, very deep, heavily committed connections which matter so much to Jesus. So bridges to love us all together. Lovely. Thank you very much. I thought you were going to go to Ezekiel and look for a man who would stand in the gap. Oh, right. Being yeah. a bridge. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic. Thank you, Neil. And uh, big shout out to Brian Swan. Yes. With his bridge lovely lover. Yes. I like to hope I'm number five after all these. No, no, no. Anyway, we are in chapter 17. That's page 50 of Life and Life Gospel. And we're still with Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. And it feels as though, I, for me, with every chapter, we're just drawing a little bit closer. You know, it's like when you kind of bend your ear in to eavesdrop on something mm. that's a little bit more and more precious. Um, Jill, last time we, we plunged you into chapter 16 and uh, it was fairly dense and it was fairly complex. And, you know, you, you started, I think, last time by saying, oh, but that quite difficult. How did you get on this time with chapter 17? I love this chapter. I absolutely loved it. I love what you're saying there about bending your ear in. I think that's really true. It is. It's like the intimacy that you can feel um, where Jesus has spent all this time in conversation with his disciples and now moving into this time of prayer. But what I'd like to really look at is the idea of, is this described as a prayer or is this actually just a continuation of the conversation mm -hmm. so if you look at the um the niv translation it says that he looked toward heaven and prayed you then look at the uh, net version it says look toward heaven and said and actually tom wright in his translation he simply says after jesus had said this he lifted his eyes to heaven and so what I like about that I, is this idea that it's not that Jesus said, and now our conversation is over and we are now going to move into a time of prayer. It just naturally developed from a conversation in the presence of God to a conversation with God in the presence of the disciples. Um, and it reminds me of my uncle David. He's actually my, sta uh, my husband Stan's uncle. And he has this incredible ability to have no differentiation between speaking with humans and speaking with God. Mm. So if we're spending time having a meal and we're talking about somebody um, that we've heard is, is not so well at that time, David will be like, so actually they fell down the stairs and they hurt their leg and, and they're in hospital. It's really awful. God, we just pray right now that you would come, you would bring your healing and that you would be with her in this time. And so when I visited her in hospital, she said, and I just, the first time I heard it, I was really quite astounded. And I'm looking around the room at Stan's extended family and nobody else thought it was weird. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, is that interesting? This is a family practice for them, that there isn't this distinction between conversation and prayer. It is, it's a continuation. 
I think is what I'm trying to say. And I love that. And I would love to do that more in mm-hmm. my family life. I really would. And I'm not good at it. Mm-hmm. I feel quite encouraged by that, Jill, because I sometimes find myself doing that by, I want to say by mistake, you know, I'm speaking to somebody and suddenly I'm, I'm sort of speaking to God at the same time. And then I, I often say, oh, sorry, don't know what happened there. Blah, blah, blah. But don't Jill, you're apologize. right. No, I know. That's don't right. I'm quite challenged by that this morning. Yeah. yeah, I think it's there. a beautiful thing. Uh-huh. Beautiful thing. The, the yeah. only transition that's there is the phrase, he lifted his eyes, well, into heaven, which is literally what the Greek says, so the idea that heaven's very close, or the idea that he, he looks towards the, the place where God is. B- very, I hope this doesn't sound too crude, and almost he makes eye contact with God mm-hmm. in, in the way that you you make icon you know to show that you're now talking with someone you make icon so this the only change is the movement of the eyes uh-huh. um, that that happens here but th- but that's quite a it's the only change but that's actually quite a significant thing yeah. isn't it yeah do you know because we we do we we do a lot with our eyes in terms mm-hmm. of of how we relate to people yeah I I think that's really interesting because we we we've talked about this all the way through haven't we that he uh, Jesus there's a contextualization to his content so he. He doesn't just randomly start speaking about being the bread of life when he happens to have just fed 5,000 people. It, you know, he, he doesn't just suddenly talk about being the, the light of the world when he happens to be at, at the festival. It, so, so it feels as though there's a bit of that going on here because he, I, I don't want to say that he's teaching the disciples how to pray, but he's letting them in mm-hmm. into how he prays, mm-hmm. isn't he? So, so I wonder if there's a kind of, there's a physical movement of that, which is, well, what is prayer? Well, prayer is this, this connection, looking up, looking round. Yeah. Yes, and Jesus is modelling it, which I think would be mm. a good way rather than teaching. He's modelling it. And he does it as well in chapter 11 when he's at Lazarus's tomb. Mm-hmm. It says, so they took away the stone. Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you that you've listened to me. And I was thinking about that, you know, he didn't really need to physically look up for his own purpose because he is he's already one with the father um but i wonder whether his actual movement there was as a model for the disciples so that they could see what to do and then he goes on and says um i love this he says i knew that you always listen to me but I said this for the sake of the crowd standing around here that they may believe that you sent me. I love that. It's a great turn mm-hmm. of phrase that John's used here. It's like, I mean, I know you always do listen to me, but I'm doing it for them. So just bear with me, Father. Is that okay? You know, I, I think it's just beautiful. And so this idea of lifting his eyes, yeah, I think it is a, a physical movement in order to help the disciples understand. And then uh, we've been doing a lot at Gathering with God, our intergenerational service about communion and the significance of that. And again, with that, it's like Jesus realizes that the disciples um, need some help in their humanity to be able to connect with something that's perhaps a bit intangible, spiritual, they can't quite ground it. And in, in doing the communion meal and saying, take the bread drink the wine and every time you do it remember me honor me it's like he's going here's something physical and Mm. earthy and real and palpable that you can do that will help you have that spiritual connection with me Mm -hmm. um yeah it's good i like that idea 
very intimate. One one of the one of the phrases that's often used for this chapter is sometimes called have you heard this the great high priestly prayer of Jesus? Mm-hmm. And I don't like that as a phrase. It it has this sense that Jesus puts on all this garb and it the word phrase high priest for me speaks of a very kind of formal approach where it's what I love about what you're saying is it's just this intimate moment of turning, of lifting the eyes, that physical act, and then we're invited in to Jesus talks about the glory that they've had since the beginning of the world. It feels like this is a conversation that has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. And this is the first time that we're getting to hear a kind of excerpt of it. Which for me is why, you know, that description, the great high priestly prayer, it it does work. I mean, I I completely agree with what you've just said, but it also does work in, in that. What does the high priest do? The high priest goes into the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies. And, and it, I think that's what's happening, isn't it? Yeah. Jesus yeah. is inviting the disciples who are present in the room, but also, and we'll go on to talk about this, the, the generations of disciples who will follow, he, he's inviting us <laughs> into that. It was interesting when I was doing my little summary thing, which, you know, it, it, it causes me great stress each time. But but it, I was tempted to say that this this feels like the meeting point of, of past, present, future. And and then I kind of hesitated because I thought, well, no, surely the cross and the resurrection is the is the fulcrum. But there is something of the Holy of Holies about this, isn't there? Yeah, I, but I think though John is using the word "our" to cover all of those acts. They're all they have a oneness to them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Can we we talked about the the thing as well, didn't we? About that kind of structure you mentioned that that lovely thing, which will probably come to in a bit where jesus prays for not just the disciples but the people who come to believe as a result of the disciples but there does seem to be this kind of radiating out that's going on in the the prayer so it begins with the intimacy of the father and the son the glory that they've had since the beginning of the world and they join and then it's very focused towards them uh, the disciples so it moves out from the the father to the the son and there's there's no verse uh, other than from uh, verse six onwards, which doesn't mention the disciples in some point. And then it almost comes back in again to the oneness. It's like, it's this movement out and then it's this bringing back in. And I I love the intimacy, it begins with the intimacy. Jesus is about to go through the the toughest trial of his whole life. Where do I move? To the Father. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm And I mean, I think I'm stating the blind and the obvious here, but it does turn our whole notion of what prayer is mm. on its head, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in, in the sense that it's it's not this kind of thin set of requests. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have toiled with that probably most of, most of my life, that what, what is prayer actually? Um, and that I don't want it to be a list of requests. I don't want it to be like that. I, I want it to be more than that. Um, and so I think when we look in verse one of the chapter 17, it says, you know, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. It's like, this is a relational request. It's not that he approaches with a list of requests, you know, glorify me. It's like, again, it's part of this conversation with the father in a relationship that they're doing this together, they're being glorified together. And I do realize that Jesus calls us to ask, ask and you will receive. Mm. 
But I think that what we need to do is realise that prayer begins as a relationship. Um, I was doing Sunday school um, last week and we were doing taste and see that the Lord is good. So I had a lollipop and I was saying something that I know tastes good as a lollipop and I love to lick it. And when I lick it, I know that it is good. So do you think this verse is saying that we should be licking God to see if he tastes good and he'll giggle, giggle, giggle? And I was like, no, actually what we're trying to do here is to spend time with God to see that he is good, to be intimate with God to see that he is good. And so I used the example of my friend Rachel. I said, you know, in order to know who Rachel is and, and if she's a good person, someone is tr trustworthy, got my back, then I've got to spend time with her, getting to know her, build a relationship. And it's not about what I can get from her because I don't walk in with a list of ultimat ultimatums and demands and requests. And but of course, over the years, she has done loads of things to help me. But the basis of our relationship is friendship. Mm -hmm. um, and so therefore, that idea of taste and see that the Lord is good is about having that relationship. And so once we've had that relationship with God, the prayer that can come from that, I think, is richer and and, and I think being modeled here by Jesus. So this helps me in my prayer life, mm. I think. We, we well, I, I love Tom Wright on this podcast, as, as listeners will know. Um, <laughs> I feel as though he's, he kind of fits the level I'm at with his, with his commentaries for everyone. Uh, but he talks about colour. He talks about, you know, we have to assume that somebody sees colour the same way as we see colour. So mm. as we're recording, Neil sits in a room that's got a mm. red wall and I see it a particular way, but I have no way of knowing how either of you two see the, the colour of Neil's wall that's behind him. Um, and, and he says it's a, it is similar with prayer, that we, we don't really know ever. And I think that can be quite, I think when I was younger, that was that was really hard, because I, I think I always felt like I was constantly failing at prayer, to be honest, because I wasn't quite sure what I was meant to be aiming for. But, but, but what Jesus lets us into here is exactly what you just said there. I think that's absolutely right, that it's this, it's this knowing, isn't it, getting to know. There was, a, there was an interesting thing that happened last night, eh, which I'd, I'd only just come to mind as you've been talking. I went to pick up Zoe from Dunkeld, so Zoe's 15, and she'd been in Perth doing her nails, um, discussion <laughs> to be had about that, when she should have been doing her work anyway. Um, she was in <laughs> Perth doing her nails. Uh, she'd been with a few friends, and eh, three of them needed picked up from Dunkeld railway station for me to drive them back to, well, the, Gran the Grantley and Aberfeldy. So we get in the car, pick up Zoe, her two friends, who I don't really know that well. Um, they get in the back seat, Zoe in the front seat next to me. And I said to Zoe, do you want to stick your music on? Uh, do you want to stick your phone onto the, the Bluetooth? No, no, don't want to. And then she's, now I was like fully expecting her to go into silent mode. She went, what kind of day did you have today, Dad? I was like, what? <laughs> What's going on here? I said, I was at meetings in Edinburgh. Oh, what kind of meetings? And she, I said, well, you know, the people talking about the Church of Scotland. And she said, oh, d didn't you used to have that, that job where you did all these things? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> and she was chatting to me the whole way. And then we, we ended up having this big discussion about uh, colours of um, nails. And then I started telling her a story about how once been on a, a train uh, from Aviemore to Glasgow with two hairdressers and they'd been discussing colours all the way down. So they say, what do you think of 6135? Oh, I love 6135. <laughs> what do you think about 2749? Oh, Jenny started using that. Can't stand it. And <laughs> I talked, I went through this whole thing. Now, normally that's a totally embarrassing dad story. Yes. But 
So he was like, oh, great story, Dad, and all this kind of stuff. I freaking, and as the friends left the car, I was, she said, oh, you did well there, Dad. You, and what I realised was for one brief moment, she <laughs> wanted her friends to know how much she loved her dad. Yeah, oh. And that's, that's what's happening beautiful. here. Beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I want mm -hmm. my friends to know how much I love my dad. That's gorgeous. That's lovely. And it is analogous with this, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I want my friends to know how much I love my dad. And, and then it slightly extends out to, I want my friends to know how much I love them. Because mm -hmm. you know that mm -hmm. thing where you give people a compliment to their face, they go, ah, you're just saying that. But if you say it in front of someone else, it has yes. higher value. Yes. And that's, so Jesus begins with that intimacy with the Father. And can we just, we briefly before we go on to talk about the disciples, just that thing that of the recorded prayers of Jesus, every single one of them across all of the Gospels begins with the word Father with one exception, which is on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which I think speaks to what's going on there. Mm. And I find that remarkable because in other aspects of Jesus's ministry, there's so much variation, like the way that mm -hmm. Jesus heals. But when it comes to prayer, always Father. Mm -hmm. So he starts there, but now in front of the Father, he begins to talk about the disciples and how much he cares about them. And I love that. You've given me them. And I want you now to look after them. And for all that we we talk about how annoying the disciples can be, how often they fail to get it, how many mistakes they make, and all people say, I love Peter because he's always sticking his foot in it. But what Jesus would say above all is, I just love them. Mm -hmm. And you gave me them, mm -hmm. and I've looked after them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the consistency you're talking about there, you know, in terms of how Jesus prays, I, I was really struck by this because last night, whilst you were uh, ferrying Zoe and her, nail art friends around um <laughs> i was recording some audio for sbs actually and it, i was recording some stuff from john six uh, for some resources about i am you know around i am the bread of life and i was really struck knowing that i was coming into this today that a lot of what he talked about back then <laughs> back in back in the days of john six um when he was talking about the bread of life uh, it's the same phrase it's the same idea it's the same idea that this is i'm one with the father and that, that here he is um uh, being god uh in, in you know being the bread of heaven that's been sent from heaven and and, and I, I suppose i was just struck by the consistency of jesus message as john has recorded it and yet how often it's been missed it's been it's it's not been understood in the moment when he said it mm -hmm. although it's obviously been recorded mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so there has been a significance to it and, and it feels as though this this is the culmination of all of that isn't it I've been building towards this. Actually, I've done what you've asked me to do because I, I did come as the bread from heaven that was that was given to, um, to, to demonstrate who you are. Yeah, he says that in verse four. I glorified yeah. you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do, which I find stunning because you kind of think, well, haven't you still got to do the cross? But yes. for Jesus, it's almost, it's finished. Well, and it takes me back to that fulcrum thing. Yeah. You know, it feels as though there's something in this chapter that is really a significant um, switching point. Could we it? use the word bridge? Oh, wouldn't that be nice? That's like a, a little nice. circling round. Yes, <laughs> very, very nice. Good. Very good. Okay. So, so you know, there you is a bridge in the yes. Bible. It's John seventeen. Yes, we've reached it. So you talked about the breakdown. So that so there is, yeah. we, and we've talked quite a lot about that intimacy there between between Father and Son. Uh, there's there's then the the prayer for the disciples. Yeah. You know, they're kind of said out loud so they hear it. They're included in it. 
creation. Yeah, and particularly there's two massive things. It's be with them in the world and secondly, may they be one. That's mm-hmm. that's the two biggies. So the in a sense, be with them in their mission as they carry on being me. And secondly, um, may they be one. And I love that. That that's the the two biggest things. You know, m- my friend my friend um Bruce who's much vexed by the fact that very often people from his wing of the church have downplayed unity, you know, given a choice between truth or unity, always head for the truth. And if you get the unity afterwards, it's a nice wee after effect, but let's get the truth sorted out first. And he talks about how his wife, Krista, said, imagine I was, I was dying and I had as my, Krista comes to me and says, what do you want, Bruce? Um, do you want um, me to, I don't know, get, I don't know, get your temperature sorted out or do you want to go a, on a holiday? And Bruce would say, no, the only thing I want is for you to look after the kids. That's, that's, that's the thing I most want and I want them to be together. That's the thing. That's my dying request. And it's so powerful here. Jesus is saying, dying request, look after the kids. Look after the ones you've, you've given me and keep them one. Keep them mm-hmm. one. And the two are linked because I want them to be in the world and I want them to be one so that the world will believe. So that the hope of the world is of these people being one. It's so important. So why do we find that so difficult? Takes me back to my committee meeting in Edinburgh yesterday. Well, let's ask Jill first. Okay. (laughs) You can have a think. (laughs) Why is that so difficult? Because we, we focus too much on our differences. And not enough on what actually um, binds us together, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah? We spend an awful lot of time. So, you know, the, um, there's a lot of um, people that would say, what we want to do is get back to being an act church. Mm-hmm. And I just think, not helpful. Mm-hmm. We can take values from what happened in those days, but the reality is we live now. We don't live in um, the culture that was around at that time. Um, Jesus has now not been on earth for 2,000 years, so things are different. And so therefore, I think if we have this idea that we are trying to be something and then we continually fail at it, that's almost what begins to separate us out because we say, well, no, we want to try this. It hasn't worked. Well, we're going to try harder. And it doesn't work. And it, it's so difficult to talk about this and without having sweeping statements and being flippant. And it's not about us all having the same practices and the same ways of doing things. It's about looking at what is actually central mm-hmm. to this. Mm-hmm. And I think John 17 is a pretty fantastic place to look. What is central is that we are one with the Father. That's what unites us all. There is no separation. There is no difference there, is there? Um, and I think if we can, again, broad generalization, as different flavors of church can be able to just keep coming back. I mean, even within... Our church, 
all of the elders don't believe and stand the same on some issues that are outside the core doesn't mean that we can't be unified as a church mm -hmm. we can be unified as a church because if we help me if i'm getting this right neil the doctrinal stuff if that's what we are um all on the same page with then that's enough so therefore i'm waffling no i think that's oh. taking away no, all the crap yeah I, I would so i take a lot from dietrich bonhoeffer on this so dietrich bonhoeffer before he stood against the nazis he used to have communities with ordinance, people who were training to be ministers, like called Finkenwald, I think, and there was a second place that he went to. And he wrote about those experiences in a book called Life Together, which is a very kind of honest book about what it is to live in community, in Christian community. And Bonhoeffer's key insight was that you have to understand that in any relationship that I have with you, it is mediated by Christ. That in a sense, you have to imagine that in the gap between me and you, Jesus sits and he is holding us both together. And Bonhoeffer said that was so important because in any human relationship, at some point, you will get to the point where you discover that you have something not in common with the person mm. who's next to you. And in a human relationship, at that point, you will diverge. Whereas if you remember that Christ is between you, then that will hold you together through those differences. And also, you will naturally, in a human relationship, gravitate towards who are those who are most like you. Whereas if you remember that you are in Christ, you will hold to everybody who is in the same story in Christ. And what I, what I find incredibly impressive was that Bonhoeffer held that through the pressure of the Second World War. In that community of ordinance, you had people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer who believed that the right thing to do was to stand up against Hitler and eventually work towards his assassination. And at the other end of the spectrum, you had members of that community who went and joined the, the German army and fought mm -hmm. against the Russians. So on a human level, they were completely divergent about where they were. But because they had Christ between them, they held firm. And this takes us back to this prayer here. Jesus is reminding us of the common story. And the common story is, you were all given to me by the Father, and I am now all praying for you. And that is what is making you one. You get that in, in Paul's letters to Corinth, where there's so many things dividing them. Be of one mind. Now, he doesn't mean agree on every single issue, because later on he's, he's going to talk about some issues where they are going to disagree with each other. But because you're all held in the same story, you've been chosen by God, called out, and now you're waiting for him. So I think the thing that, that makes unity so hard is that we forget the common story. Mm. Mm. So, so, so is the is the the outcome for that then rather rather than going after unity, mm. it's to go after the common things, whilst remembering that that Christ is is there. Yeah, that's good. Unity is what comes out of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very by product. Good that. Well, it's not by product, but it's like yeah, aha. Uh -huh. That's very helpful. So you, so you see that locally, don't you? You see that. So I, I, I've been part of things that have been local prayer things, prayer events mm. or campaigns with, with different denominations. And you're able to lay aside your kind of denominational differences or your doctrinal differences in order to, to go after praying for your area or, mm. you know, practically working in a food bank or you know, whatever it is that, that draws people together. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think that's helpful. And it, the, the New Testament is full of that, especially Paul's teaching, which, which, which I love, is this leads to this leads to this leads to this. It's like uh, start somewhere and you will get somewhere very different. And so I suppose this idea that um, if we're looking for the common things, that leads to unity. And then the unity leads to people seeing um, that unity that means that they might actually change their belief. I mean, it seems mm-hmm. seems quite incredible that, you know, Jesus is saying the unity that will come will be visible enough to be noticed. Unity, which is not something that is tangible or palpable or grounded or earthy. It is a intangible concept almost but he Mm -hmm. is saying it will be visible enough to be noticed and strong enough and attractive enough that it actually could birth belief in people that's amazing but yes Fiona you're right it starts with almost looking before what do we do in order to see the outcome of unity yes whilst I think whilst at the same time I think at the same time you've got to hold how important this is to Jesus. Yes, yes. I, I think, because I, I think it's not enough to think of it as a byproduct, but actually to say we hold this mm-hmm. as being a, a, an immutable good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, so I've been in church meetings or sometimes church union things where people just say, let's just be one. Mm. And that feels a very dry conversation. But at the same time, I've been in things where the, the oneness is oh, let's concentrate this first and, and let's ignore the oneness thing or, or let's not treat it as important, it's, which is not what you're saying. You've, you've, mm. You picked that up at the end. Because Paul does also say, be, be of one mind. So that is a direct in, mm-hmm. instruction. Um, I, I think of, though, the, the often there is a thing that pulls people together and then draws them. So in Canvas Lang, which uh, you were a big part of, uh, uh, well, both of you were, the Reach Out Trust, that encompass i can't remember how many different churches of different denominations but the common thing which which people were working towards was wanting to connect with the young people and wanting young people Mm -hmm. to come to know the gospel and Mm -hmm. then that that drew people together and that's had a brilliant effect over many many years yeah it's interesting isn't it and it 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 makes me think as well about how our attitude towards church as individuals our attitude towards church is that although we would pay lip service to this i think i think we would pay lip service to saying, oh, we're part of a bigger church, that, that church is not where you go and it's not an event and it's not a particular point in the week, that church is, is being part of the body. I think functionally we find it quite easy to slip into thinking of it that way, to thinking of my church in my part of the country where I live and where what we do and the way we practice, rather than kind of lifting our, our thinking to be part of the universal church yeah, of yeah. all time and of all geography. That's extraordinary. I'm yeah. I'm in and verse get... twenty one with everybody else. Uh huh. Uh huh. Oh, that glimpse you get when when he says that he's praying for future believers. You know, whoa, yeah. that is incredible, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah, yeah, we should start an organisation called the Seventeen Twenty One Club. Yeah. Oh, I'd like to be part of that. Let's do yeah. it. Well, let's talk about that. So, so this 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 suddenly elevates this whole conversation to not just being happening in in that time and place, but but taking it into into what will come. Uh-huh. I don't know what my question is, so somebody jump in. Jesus is seeing us in continuity with um, the 
well, with the disciples. And it's all that thing, isn't it, about how Jesus is saying you're going to do greater things uh, than me. It's all about this post-resurrection life of the church. And we're, we're there for a purpose. We're, we're there to be one so that the world might believe. I, I don't know. I mean, it's simple, isn't it? It's, there's nothing mm-hmm. complicated in this. It's simply saying we're there that others might believe. So although that Jesus is talking about the world being a hostile place, he's also envisaging the idea that this hostile world will then co- contain people who are going to come and believe. It just it's, I suppose it just points me to, to pure evangelism, to sharing of the faith. Um, that's something that we've, we've forgotten about where we don't actually so often believe that people will come to to faith we, we had a training session uh, last week with a guy who's an evangelist johnny douglas or he's also a minister and he was just encouraging us again and again and again to have connections with people and through those connections to allow people uh, to come to faith Th- there's a guy um who who loves evangelism in our church and he's deliberately joined the local walking club as a way of getting people to know but he's also saying how come i'm the only one that's doing this everyone else is just stuck in their own little huddle but jesus is saying be one that the world might believe mm-hmm. and and it's the, it's that uh, sometimes i think we say evangelism and and ecumenism yeah yeah in opposition to each other yeah but in fact what jesus is saying is you know joe what you said that this is attractive yes yes this is deeply yes. attractive <laughs> yes and i think that um having um grown up with the phrase evangelism i think it can be at times unhelpful we started trying to call it faith sharing our church to try and get away from the hang-ups that you know might be there but it never ceases to amaze me how surprised i am every single time somebody finds out a bit about what I do with church or um, my belief in God or, you know, I'm surprised when they go, that's amazing. I'm like, really? (laughs) You know, we, yeah, we are, we are, um, pretend I, don't say we, I am not expectant enough of how powerful Jesus is. And how attractive it is to to know him, and yeah, it's a challenge, isn't it? Indeed. When the when the missionaries were in India eh, in the nineteen thirties and nineteen forties, they were from all sorts of different denominations. Uh, there were Methodists, there were Anglicans, there were Congregational, there were Presbyterians, and they they worked differently. And all the churches they built, you know, had the same. You know, you can tell an Indian church, which which was part founded by the Anglican missionaries, because it has an Anglican architecture and prayer book and so on. And yet, what they found was when they all went uh, on holiday, they all ended up in the holiday in the same place. Uh, they ended up in the hill station, places like Uti, Uti Kamond, which people might have heard of. And they suddenly started worshiping together because they were all thrown together, uh, escaping from the heat. And they suddenly discovered they had so much in common. And then they began to talk to each other and said, wouldn't it be great when the Indian state is founded that the churches would also be one? And so that is what led to the founding of the Church of North India and the Church of South India. In they were both formed in 1948 at the same time as uh, India became an independent country. And the motto of the Church of South India is that they all may be one. Yeah. 
But I frequently went to sermons in, in Church of South India where the person would say, don't forget what the second half of that phrase is, that they all may be one so that the world might believe. Mm. So our, our oneness has got to lead to evangelism. It cannot be an end in itself. Mm, that's helpful. That's helpful. Um, what about the, uh, eternal life? Mm. The mention of eternal life in here. Bizarre, I, of course, I'm working from light and life, so I can't, I can't find the verse. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody could give us that, that would be really great. It's in verse 3. Verse he said three, as yes. one. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. And... Um, I think Jesus clearly is not just talking here about the unending nature of eternal life, the promise of heaven, what is to come, the culmination, but actually about the quality of life that's derived from a relationship with God now. Um, and I think we often focus on heaven and we do forget about life on earth. Was there not a campaign by is it Tear Fund or Christian Aid Christian about um, we believe in life before death? Yeah. And yeah. that yeah. was powerful. Um, yeah. And, and just that idea that they know you, that idea of knowledge, relationship, friendship, fathership, um, that it's not just head knowledge, that it's something to come, but it's heart knowledge that starts mm. right now. Mm. Yeah. I want to talk about oneness here because oneness can sometimes mean it can feel a bit bland. It, it feels for me sometimes it feels like local churches together groups where everybody's trying to sort out the rota for the carol service. <laughs> uh, but but true oneness is is that sense of all being brought together. I, th I think, for example, of the Coldplay concerts that were recently in Murrayfield, where for certain songs, everybody holds up a, a red a glow light or a blue one and people are drawn into this oneness. I think what Jesus is talking about is this this deep transcendence that that we are all one in in Jesus Christ and it's it's a beautiful moment where we suddenly recognize we all belong we had a moment at church on Sunday we had a lot of people who had come on holiday from church and uh, at the end of the service I was very conscious of this so I said hands up if you're here from the free church background and most I thought it was the largest grouping were folk from the free church Hands up if you come from a Baptist, folk stuck up their hands up. Hands up if you've been Anglican, and people stuck up their hands. Hands up if you've been, um, it come from Catholic background, some people stuck up their hands. Hands up if you've always been in the Church of Scotland. And there was this sense as we said it, that wow, we, we've all come from these different places, and yet in Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. we are one. And on the way out, uh, somebody said to me, oh, my mother's not talking to you because you forgot the Presbyterians, the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. <laughs> so I rushed straight back in before the mother left and said, I realise I forgot the Presbyterians in Ireland. Hands up if you're Presbyterian in Ireland, of one person. And someone then said, and you forgot the Methodists. So <laughs> they stuck up their hand as well. But it was that, but it was just, you didn't need to say anything. We just realised yeah. that we were all deeply, fundamentally one. I think Neil, I think that's really, really profound to think about because because it seems to me, and, and maybe it's because I'm part of a city centre church. I wonder if for a generation coming after our generation, denomination is a bit less important. Now that mm. that's a whole we don't have time to get into a whole conversation about that. 
but I think there is increasingly a sense, and it's quite an encouraging thing, that we, we, we come under a banner of who we are as Christians rather than a particular branch yeah. of that. Yeah, people I, talk I about see that in younger people. Now, the, the flip side of it is there's a, you know, there's a hesitancy towards joining yeah. denominations. There's a hesitancy towards kind of going all in in your, your membership. But it's it the positive of that is mm-hmm. is that sort of desire to to seek unity. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I'm I'm just thinking about that because I'm someone who's been quite committed to the idea of a denomination, but I also mm-hmm. see how that hasn't helped. And you're totally right. Young the generation below me, it means zero to them. Just about mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. means something, but mm-hmm. definitely not strong either. Yeah. Yeah. yeah interesting to know what God's doing in that isn't it in these yeah. in these days um, of what would apparently be decline but yeah it's all the colours fuse into one as Bono <laughs> said <laughs> I think that sounds like a good note to, to draw this part of the, co- the conversation to an end other than to say do we have a, a takeaway I think for me that we are being invited into a oneness with the father that Jesus has that's just mind blowing isn't it that's mm. my takeaway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my takeaway is to channel the spirit of Jen. We're back to the prologue again, because the prologue ends with the father and son at each other's side, and they're united, and they're drawing us in. Um, no one has ever seen God. It's God who's the father's, uh, who's at the father's bosom, who's made him known. So that sense of being drawn into the bosom of the father and, and the son, that's exactly what we get at the end of John 17. So if I can be allowed two takeaways, yeah. uh, the first one is the thing we said about the intimacy, the father, the move to that. And the second would be, just because Jen's not here, uh, <laughs> we're at the prologue again. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, mine is going to be, I'm going to start being more confident in praying like Stan's uncle. Oh, yeah. Moving yeah. into prayer in, in conversation. I'll just push through people thinking I'm weird. Brilliant. Jill, do you have a jewel? I do have a jewel. Um, so this year I've been thinking a lot about how as people we're all very different and indeed we are unique and I just need to look at my own family to see that every day because we all engage with other people in the world in different ways. My son, he is not so comfortable around people he doesn't know. He would prefer to be on his own or with close family. My daughter, on the other hand, just loves meeting strangers and she'll strike up a conversation with someone at the checkout and by the time our shopping has been beeped through she's made a lifelong friend like it is just incredible we're all so different um and so if we are all so different it has challenged me to think about what does that mean for how we relate to god and so i came across a book which i know fiona you have also read called Sacred Pathways, Discover Your Soul's Path to God by a guy called Gary Thomas. I really encourage you to take a look at that. He's also got a website that I'm sure if you will pop up um, with loads of different articles about it. But his idea is that there are nine ways, nine pathways that people relate to God. Um, I'll pique your interest by mentioning a couple. Um, Naturalists is one, people who love God best outdoors. For me, I think of my mother-in-law. Um, she's always outside, she's gardening, she's walking, she brings in leaves, flowers, pieces of bark that she's found, and she explores them with my children, and she talks about God, the creator, with them. 
um, traditionalists, that's someone who would love God through ritual and symbols. And Fiona, I think of our good friend Ross Crichton. Mm. He grew up with us um, in the Church of Scotland, but was drawn into the Catholic Church because of the repetition, the tradition within that church. It allows Ross to connect with God on the deepest of levels. So it's just a couple of examples. Um, I've discovered that I'm an activist. Um, I kind of grew up uh, thinking that my relationship with God um, would be measured on how good I was at my quiet times, pretty rubbish, silence and, alone, and being alone for me is, is just not good and makes me very anxious. But uh, having discovered that I am someone who um, likes to be active in my faith, wants to be working with people, wants to be showing people a different way, wants to be helping people, it's really just opened up a whole new way of being positive about my faith, actually. So here is my um, jewel that maybe you take a look at this. And maybe you think outside the box and think about how you actually relate to God and see if that can develop um, your faith in the rest of this year. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And thank you for um, sharing with us. But also thank you for the last this this week and last time, or this podcast and last time. It's been an absolute delight. We're obviously excited that Jen's coming back, but um, it's been really lovely having you here. Will you come back again another time? Yes, if any of you go off on a long, exotic trip, call me back. That'd be lovely. Yeah, no, I'd love to come back. Thank you so much for inviting me. You're so welcome. Well, listeners, we'd love to hear from you, obviously. So again, please don't forget that you can get in touch with us with your comments, your questions. You can email outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org or you can contact us via social media. Um, don't forget to check out those stories of light and life and videos that are available for you to share and use in your church communities, share with your neighbours. I mean, I think it ties very neatly into what we've talked about today in terms of, of how unity and story of what God is doing is, is attractive to, to people. Uh, now, don't forget also, if you like what you hear, then you can recommend us to other people. Uh, and if you're so inclined, you can give us a rate or a review on your podcast app. Thank you, Neil and Jill. Jill, first rate job of standing in for Jen. Uh, and next time when she's back, uh, the heat will rise because we find ourselves moving towards the crucifixion and the resurrection in chapter 18. That's not the resurrection in chapter 18, but we move in chapter 18 towards crucifixion and resurrection. So join us when we do that. <laughs>